and this is Full Disclosure with the Better Government Association and their president and CEO, David Greising. David, good morning to you. How are you today, sir? Good morning, Chris. Going well, thank you. Uh, and we've got. Uh, it was a pretty good day for Governor Pritzker yesterday. I think a, a couple of rulings, and one of them that that you guys have covered, John, is the JCAR ruling that uh, basically uh, his fight to stop the spread of COVID nineteen continues. But uh, the plan on tightening penalties and making businesses uh, enforce those uh, that don't comply, that uh, face fines. You know, he got a win on that one. Uh, there were there was some concern. I, I think, uh, especially when he did that uh, press conference on. Sunday at Northwestern, you know, that was a lot about the masks and wearing those. He did mention about the JCAR ruling on Tuesday and wanted to put some teeth into that, and they certainly did by not uh, rejecting that uh, that uh, motion. Right. JCAR is a joint committee of the uh, General Assembly, and uh, he got a 6-5 vote, which is fairly close, although it would have taken eight votes to stop uh, him from enforcement of this order. And what this does is that it allows uh, Governor Pritzker's uh, rule that uh, businesses that don't comply with face mask real rulings after a number of warnings and such would be subject to fines as high as $2,500. The main impetus seems to be to get businesses to comply. Uh, this applies to schools as well and give them warnings if they don't and ask them to then to have their customers leave the premises if, if there is noncompliance. And then after that, the fines begin. So the governor did win this. This is p- part of uh, another challenge to his powers to exert the kind of authority he's exerting in his effort to keep people safe. Do you think it's fair, though, to ask the restaurants to have to be the police in all this? Uh, you know, that, that maybe maybe should there, should there be more from the, uh, you know, fines on individuals that don't wear masks? Well, uh, it's a very good question. Um, restaurants uh, have control over their property, over whom they serve, whom they don't serve, whom they let into their business, whom they don't let into their business. So they definitely play a role here. But you're right. It is, in the end, uh, the customers that are the ones potentially violating. And no business person wants to treat a customer uh, in a way that they might resent. And some customers will resent being asked to wear a face mask. On the other hand, um, there's responsibility all around, and business owners, uh, based on this ruling, business owners have to uh, uh, bear that responsibility. Republicans uh, in in the General Assembly are uh, complaining. They think there should be a special session, some of them, uh, in order to discuss this and other rules. Senator Paul Schiff of Waterloo, for example, was calling for a special session to review the governor's authority here. The other victory that the governor had yesterday, David, was uh, a more of a minor one, but uh, more significant, too, in that he won't have to go to Clay County on Friday to appear in court. Uh, then uh, there was a little bit of consolidation, but the Illinois State Supreme Court, you know, ruling in that uh, uh, not only does the governor not have to appear, but that the the suits that Darren Bailey's been filing have been, uh, uh, what, uh, uh, consolidated into Sangamon County, it looks like. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the thing that we were all watching was would the governor have to show up? The governor was very dismissive of Clay County Judge uh, Michael Henry's ruling that called on him to appear in a contempt hearing. Henry is the one who has ruled that the governor's authority to issue emergency order rules requiring masks and such ended as of July 2nd. That case, as well as others, now are all consolidated. The Darren Bailey case, the famous one of the the Xenia uh, lawmaker who um, uh, famously was marched out of the General Assembly meeting in that very brief session in the spring, those are now all together, which 
seems to make sense. These are all these are different challenges. Three of them, uh, basically, the governor's authority to be issuing these emergency orders. It's good to see these cases all now uh, heard in one place, and hopefully, we'll get some clarity about what exactly the governor's emergency powers are, and is he properly applying them? David, why do you think the Illinois State Supreme Court just hasn't taken up this case once and for all and ruled on it? I mean, Wisconsin got that done in about a month or so, you know, as they made a ruling and basically took the powers away from Governor Evers up there. You know, what about here? You know, the the, the Illinois State Supreme Court seems to have been, been reluctant to, to, to just decide this issue once and for all, and even the governor requested that they make a decision on that, and they really didn't. Well, in fact, the governor really asked for sort of an advisory ruling on his powers. Uh, and the court, as you're pointing out, Chris, the court denied even to make an advisory ruling. And courts typically don't like to make advisory rulings. They want to have uh, an actual um, uh, conflict before them, uh, before they, they spend their time. It's unclear why the court um, has chosen, the Supreme Court has chosen not to take up these cases. Um, I haven't had a chance to read what their rulings are, to you know the, the logic on, on those rulings, but it's evident that they do want to let the lower courts do their business before the Supreme Court weighs in. Um, it could be that they, um, they just think there's more time for this to uh, um, play out and there's not a, a need for them to pick this up at this particular moment. It's full disclosure on WMAY News Talk 94.7 and 97845 with David Greising of the Better Government Association. And David, we're starting to feel more of the pandemic here after having some low positivity rates. They're starting to creep up a little bit. Logan County's had their first death. We here locally, Springfield District 186 is uh, looking at uh, possibly, you know, starting the school year after deciding that they were going to do a hybrid program. Now looking at possibly deciding to start the school year on Zoom Learning tomorrow. Tomorrow. Uh, you know, this is this is kind of a, a situation where Sangamon County now finds themselves kind of in the boat where Cook County was a little while ago, where they could see some restrictions start to come back in and maybe go back into phase three. Yeah, it's very interesting to watch how the uh, virus has been spreading across the state and especially in this sort of second phase where we're seeing the numbers start uh, going up. As you pointed out, the Logan County had its first death. Uh, Sagamon County has had 33 deaths so far, which puts it in the top 15 counties statewide. Macon County nearby has had more than 20 deaths. Uh, the, what, what the governor and, and the health department are looking at is the positivity rate. And the positivity rate in Region 3, where Sagamon County is located, is at 5.4%. That's sixth highest among the 11 regions um, and it's actually a lower positive or a, um, a higher positivity rate than the city of Chicago itself, which comes in at uh, around five percent, four point nine percent yesterday. And so, um, well, there, well, there's uh, a kind of a general sense that the problem in some of these less populated counties and regions of the state uh, are that that the uh, incidence is not so high, et cetera. It actually is growing. In some of these areas, and the and so uh, local officials who have been resistant to some of the emergency measures may need to be more compliant with them because uh, we are seeing that uh, nowhere is immune to this uh, virus. 
What's really interesting, too, about the death rate in Sangamon County is that we have not had a death since June 28th. Even though we're seeing the numbers rise, uh, we haven't seen a death in the county in six weeks. It's it's kind of strange, strange the, the, the way that works, you know, as far as the numbers go up. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say... Um, it, you know, that that's one of the things about some of these measures that, that the governor is imposing is that the idea is to give the healthcare system an opportunity to deal with uh, the cases that come in and the death rates. You know, we are seeing improvements in treatment, although obviously a vaccine or a cure is nowhere in sight unless you live in Russia, where they claim they have a vaccine. But <laughs> nobody outside of Russia believes them. Um, you know, so um, that that is an encouraging sign. But uh, nevertheless, it. it you know, the governor's insistent that his emergency orders need to be respected. Mail-in balloting is probably going to get as much discussion as any of the issues in the campaign coming in. And uh, we have the latest on that with the Liberty Justice Center suing. Right. Uh, uh, you know, the governor's spokesperson, Jordan Abadiah, called this a desperate measure, the fact that the Liberty Justice Center has sued. But they are claiming that um, ma- that mail-in voting um uh, you know, universal mail-in voting is a violation of rights because it creates unfair conditions in the election. This seems to be based on a presumption that uh, that fits into the rhetoric of the people typically in the Republican Party who oppose mail-in voting because of uh, they claim it's its potential for fraud, uh, for you know, fake votes to be filed, et cetera. There is no evidence that this happens on a widespread scale. It happened. It has happened, uh, but at a very minuscule few instances over the many years mail-in voting has happened. Nevertheless, there is this lawsuit. Uh, it, it is an effort to prevent mail-in voting in the fall. And you're right, Chris, what you said at the top, uh, this issue of mail-in voting, whether it's fair, whether it's good for the state of Illinois or for the election more broadly, is going to remain a, a hot topic up through election day on November 3rd. Yeah, I think it's really important to note we've always had mail-in voting. We just, this year is a little bit different in the fact that if you are a registered voter, you're going to get a ballot, or, or I'm sorry, an application to get a ballot for mail-in voting. So it's a little bit different that way. But uh, other than that, the mail-in voting has always been uh, there, you know. And uh, Right. Oh, go ahead. And the difference between mail-in and absentee voting, in absentee voting, you have to explain why you're not going to be voting. Uh, You might be ill. You might be in military uh, deployment. You might have a business uh, interest that keeps you out of the state for an extended period of time. With mail-in voting, you need no excuse. You just have to make that choice to vote by mail. And with COVID out there, there is concern about safety both for voters and for people supporting the election, election judges and such. And so that's why one of the reasons mail-in voting uh, has become so popular and was passed by the General Assembly. Uh, There are those who just don't think that that's a a risk worth changing the way people have voted in the past. The states that have had universal mail-in voting have had no rise in vote fraud. They've had good results. It takes a little longer to count the vote, which is an issue and could be a big issue with this very tight uh, national election coming up. But but uh, this will continue to be a big topic leading into the election. And I know this was surprising that I found out, too, that, that, that you grabbed it uh, two weeks ago. Don Grade told us that he was going to have drop-off boxes. Now he's not. Well, and in fact, uh, the worm has turned one more time because he just received a letter from the Postal Service uh, explaining that— um, uh, the Illinois rules are actually t- uh, too, the deadlines are too tight and the Postal Service can't 
deliver mail both ways, both deliver a mail-in ballot and then return the mail-in ballot in time for it to be counted. And so it looks as if Mr. Gray may is reconsidering and may now allow some uh, drop boxes so long as they're secure. One place that's being talked about is the Sangamon County uh, Center you know, in Springfield, so the the complex downtown. Sure. And so there is a possibility you will be able to uh, do use a Dropbox if you so choose to uh, drop a mail-in ballot. And we've only got about a minute left, David, and I wanted to touch real quick on this uh, uh, this uh, class action suit that's going on. You know, obviously ComEd had to pay that $200 million fine to the feds for its role in that, but uh, uh, there's another class action suit demanding $450 million more from ComEd? Right, no kidding, and and that's uh, you know this this is has been interesting ever since the uh, the federal government brought the uh, charge the plea agreement against Commonwealth Edison with a two hundred million dollar fine. Um, a lot of people are looking at that and saying, wait a minute, these huge rate increases ComEd has gotten from the period 20, 2011 through 2018, when when it has admitted it was seeking to influence Mike Madigan. Uh, you know, that's, you know, the benefit of that was a lot more that, than that um, $150 million benefit that the uh, accountants at the uh, Justice Department seem to have come up with. And so now this class action, uh, which is not the only one out there, uh, seeks up to $450 million in damages for immediate injunctive relief, claiming that, that it was, that's how much ratepayers were hurt by some of the laws, some of the r- rates that were passed uh, as a result of of uh, Commonwealth Edison's fraudulent scheme. And yet there's still no indictment on Mike Madigan. <laughs> Not yet. Uh, there isn't, but uh, the feds seem to be working at it. As you know, they subpoenaed uh, AT&T, Walgreens, Rush University Medical System. Uh, they, they've subpoenaed a lot of his records. Um, uh, there's no indictment yet, but it wouldn't be surprising if there were one sometime soon. David, good stuff. How can we get a hold of you at the Better Government Association? I'm at decreasing at bettergov.org. That's D-G-R-E-I-S-I-N-G at bettergov.org. And our website is bettergov.org. All right, David, listen, always a pleasure. We're looking forward to working with you again next Wednesday. Actually, I think Jim's by himself. I think I'm on vacation next Wednesday. So Well, we'll miss you. I hope you're uh, doing getting some relaxation. It's hard in these days. Super, David. Thank you so much. It's now 9 o'clock at WMA1.